Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Please note that this episode contains descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. That is. Absolutely. Nobody objected. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part four, and the final part, for now, of the Samuel Contreras story. Having already served almost 20 years in prison for the murder of his 22-month-old niece, Samuel says... He's been wrongfully convicted. I'm assuming you've met Saul in person? Yes, I have. And I speak to him every week um, and for two years. So in those two years, I've really gotten to know who he is. So if, if someone were to ask you what sort of man you think he is, what would you say? I think he is gentle, knowledgeable, um, compassionate, and I, I just have so much respect for him. Yeah, he has handled this so amazingly well. As we know, the medical examiner charged with the autopsy of young Jasmine would come to the conclusion that she died from blunt force trauma to the abdomen, where he found four bruises. He would conclude that this death was as a result of a homicide. During Sowell's five-day trial, his defence would call a number of witnesses, including their own medical examiner. Uh, Was there an expert paediatric forensic pathologist there? Yes, Dr. Geist. Yes. And what did she say? Um, Well, there was a... That that was a very extensive testimony. Um, Basically, what she said was that... uh, the injury, injuries appear to have happened uh, up to up to 72 hours prior. Um, that it could have been from a fall. It could have been from falling into a, onto a toy. It could have been from um, just anything, like maybe the night before at the Thanksgiving party. Um, but it was not consistent to whatever the medical examiner for the for the DA's office for the prosecution has said. Which was um, what. The medical examiner said that she had died from uh, blunt force trauma to the abdomen, 
happened that there were four bruises on the abdomen area. And uh, they also said that, uh, I believe it was her spleen, had uh, come open from the blunt force. And, but basically they said it was four, four uh, strikes to the abdomen. Was the medical examiner a pediatric forensic expert? No, he was not. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've come to found out, find out that he was not even certified to do autopsies. So while on the stand, the defence's expert witness, Dr Geist, was asked for her opinion on the findings of the autopsy and its conclusions, and if four blows to the abdomen could have been the sole cause for the injuries that were found. Sowell's defence would ask... So when the defendant in that second statement that police had him say he struck the child four times with a closed fist, a closed fist to the abdomen, would that explain what we're looking at? Answer. Uh, It would not explain all of the injuries that are described or that are in the autopsy report. Little Jasmine had multiple injuries, not just, of course, injuries to the abdomen. So what the defence is trying to show is that Sowell's apparent confession of striking Jasmine four times in the stomach can't have been what had actually happened to her, as the injuries just don't match the account. Of course, trying to add weight to the argument that Saul's confession was coerced and he just agreed to whatever the detectives said happened. Another interesting thing that was noted by the defence's medical expert, Dr Geist, was the lack of microscopic slides are available for one of the injuries found, that being the tear of the small bowel mesentery, a serious injury. And why is it important that these slides were missing? Well, according to Dr Geist, she explains on the stand that these slides allow you to give a much more accurate date of injury. How so? Well, allow me to get a little scientific for a moment. When we cut ourselves, let's say you cut yourself on the arm, the first thing that's going to happen, of course, some tissue damage, and then it's likely to start bleeding. Well, the body's defence mechanism will jump into action. It begins to try and clot that bleeding and the body will immediately send out white blood cells to the area of the injury. These white blood cells, of course, we cannot see with the naked eye, but can be detected under a microscope. However, Dr Geist explains on the stand, you usually won't be able to see these white blood cells under the microscope for about six to eight hours. So, Salon's defence then asks, if we had a slide of this and we saw a bunch of white blood cells, we would know that it was at least six to eight hours old. At least six to eight hours, maybe older, responds the doctor. But of course, these slides are not available, so we are unable to give an accurate date of when the injury occurred. Now, of course, the prosecution's doctor, the one who carried out the autopsy, stated that these injuries were so severe that Jasmine would not have been able to survive longer than 15 minutes to an hour, which is why they say that Saul must have been the one who inflicted them. Again, what the defence is trying to show here is that vital information is missing from this autopsy report that would in fact help to get a better idea of just how old these injuries were. As we know, none of Sowell's interrogations were recorded. No audio and no video which I'm told by numerous professionals nowadays would just not fly. However, we do need to remember this was almost 20 years ago. So although it's certainly a little odd, it's not completely unheard of. 
However, Saul's defence attorney would push Detective Aguirre quite hard on this fact. The following is a reenactment of that cross-examination. Now, are you aware of any policy in the El Paso Police Department that prohibits recording of the interrogation of a suspect? No, sir. In order to achieve the most accurate statement, let's just say, of the accused, which do you think is better? To have the detective type the statement based on his interview of the accused or to video record the entire interview? It depends on what you decide to do, which choice you decide. At the present time, we were doing all by writing, which is what I have done many times. I don't know. I I really don't know which one would be more accurate. I have never had any problems with the written statement as far as accuracy. So have you ever had a suspect or an arrestee after he has signed a typed statement that you typed later say that that was not his statement and that he had been forced to sign a statement? No, sir. Never? Not that I recall. Ever in your four years, you've never come in and testified at a motion to suppress a statement in which a person has claimed that he was forced by you to sign a statement. A claim could be made. It could have been made in the past. A claim, but that I did that? No. Well, has it been made? Possibly. Well, have you ever testified in a motion to suppress? I have testified in many, many cases. No, sir, please listen to my question. Uh, My question is, have you ever testified at a motion to suppress a written statement? Yes. Have you? So that means that there was someone, the defendant, contesting the voluntariness of the statement that you had typed uh, and that that person had signed. It's not unusual for somebody to contest after the fact. All right, so, so you have. I don't recall any specific cases. It's possible. So... Are you sure or you're not sure that you've testified at a motion to suppress a confession? I've testified in many motions to suppress of confessions that I have obtained or others have obtained. Well, that's all I'm asking, Detective. I apologise. Uh, that's fine. I'm not asking about your opinion about whether it was true or not. I'm just asking you, other people have contested the voluntariness of the statement they signed after they'd left. After they'd signed the statement, been taken to jail, been charged, got a lawyer, there was a motion to suppress filed, and you were called to testify about the circumstances of the interrogation. Of the taking of the statement? Right. Yes, okay. Do we know, because sometimes what I've noticed as well with a number of cases where there is potential that um, there's been misconduct by detectives or, you know, certain wrongdoings, that there's there's generally a pattern, um, much like in criminal situations, you know, it's never, it's not, it doesn't usually happen just at once. There's sometimes, you know, examples of this happening on many occasions. Do we know anything about these particular detectives and whether this was kind of their MO sort of situation where they, they did this to people with these, you know, non-recording. We do know that, yeah, that there have been other cases where people, where they have been um, cited for, you know, interrogation or, you know, one was of a minor and not telling the parents everything, but it was the same thing. The mother said, they didn't tell me X, Y, and Z. And they got right up on the stand and said, yeah, yes, we did. You know, yes, we did. Or just deny, deny, deny. So I did a little search of Detective Aguirre online And I did in fact find at least two incidents where the defendants had claimed their testimony to have been coerced. One was a juvenile in 2006. The defendant, known only as JAB, was interviewed in relation to a shooting. 
During his initial interview, he denied any involvement and had stated that he in fact was in a vehicle and the occupants were looking for certain persons in which to fight, but they did not locate them, so they returned home. However, during his initial questioning, detectives say they got information that JAB was in fact the shooter, so he was placed under arrest. After a subsequent interview that followed, conducted by Detective Aguirre, he decided he would in fact like to make a statement about the incident. JAB would go on to say that his statement was coerced by the detective. However, it is important to point out that his motion to suppress, due to his statement being coerced, was denied and no wrongdoing was found against any detectives. In 2009, a gentleman was arrested on suspicion of a sexual assault. Again, in his initial interrogation, he denied that he had anything to do with the crime, and he in fact asked to speak with an attorney. The interview was suspended, and he was taken to a cell. However, apparently, while in the cell, he signalled to Detective Aguirre and stated that he was embarrassed by the presence of a female detective and wished to in fact make a statement and did not wish to invoke his right to legal counsel. The defendant would again move to suppress the statements he gave to police. However, again, we must point out these were denied by the courts. Now, just because others have claimed coercion against them while making statements of guilt, of course, does not mean that any of these were coerced by the detectives. But just like when police investigate criminals, you always have to look at patterns of behaviour and ask the questions. Looking back at Sal's trial now, and Detective Aguirre is still on the stand, and it seems his memory would be tested yet again by the defence as they push him on the extreme lack of any records kept of Saul's interrogation. Not even any notes. Would you please turn in your notes to, to page three? Yes, sir. Now, this is actually your supplemental report, is it not? This is my supplemental report, that's correct. Uh, now, it has down there on the bottom of the page, 1908 hours. Would you review that paragraph that you typed there for me, please? Yes, sir. Now, will you tell me how many sentences are in that paragraph, please? Six. Okay, and and how many sentences refer to the actual interrogation of Mr. Contreras? The actual contents of his statement are not in this small paragraph. Would you agree with me that it says that the SU, which by the way refers to suspect... That's correct. uh, He was the suspect at the time that you had him in that room, wasn't he? Yes, sir. That's what it says in your report, doesn't it? Yes, sir. That he was the suspect? A suspect, yes. No, no, it says the suspect. Yes, sir. And then it says... The subject, or the suspect, was interviewed in the CAP office interview room. That's correct, sir. The subject, I mean the suspect, excuse me, uh, agreed to provide a voluntary statement of the accused. That's correct. Now, that summarises two hours of discussion that you had with Mr Contreras, does it not? That's correct. All right. Now, if Mr Contreras, which he is in fact doing, was to say, I was forced, I was browbeaten during those two hours by two detectives until they broke my will and I signed the statement. I I was harassed, I was yelled at, I was threatened, I was denied access to a lawyer. I mean, how would you refute that? I would say that's not true. And so... If you wanted to refresh your memory about what happened during those two hours, because let's just say, hypothetically, that Mr Contreras gives extensive testimony about what happened during those two hours, uh, and you were asked to refresh your memory about what actually happened during those two hours, where would you go? I would recall some of the content of what we spoke of at that time. Okay, uh, what's today? The date? The 29th, I believe. And when did you obtain this statement? Exactly two years ago. Exactly two years ago today? Yes, sir. 
So you're going to recall exactly what you said to Mr. Contreras and what he said to you during those two hours from two years ago, just from your recollection. Not exactly. Not everything. No, you're not, are you? So let me go back to that question about the video or the audio recording. If there were a contest today, a dispute about what occurred during those two hours and we had a tape of the interview, we could answer that question, couldn't we? We would have the tape, that's correct. So what you've done, uh, you and Detective Ochoa, the way that it's set up now, because there's well no tape of what happened during those two hours, no recreation on video or audio tape, it's going to be a swearing match between two officers of the law and one man accused of capital murder. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. So you're coming in here and saying, we're police officers, trust us, I can remember what happened two years ago. Is that correct? I can remember a lot of things that we discussed, yes sir. I mean, that's basically what you're saying. Uh, Let me ask you this, did you take any notes during the two hours that you interrogated Mr Contreras? I may have taken some notes, yes sir. Okay, well... Let's go back to how good your memory is. Uh, you say you may have taken notes. Are you now not certain? I'm not sure if I actually took notes or not. Well, uh, go back two years ago today and imagine yourself sitting there at the desk. You're looking at the computer screen and, and you're conducting. I mean, you're there for, I think, what, 38 minutes typing? During the second statement, yes, sir. And go back and get that mental picture going of what happened and tell me if there were any notes in front of you as you were typing. Probably not, but... I'm not certain. Right. Now, if there were, if there were notes, would you have preserved them? Those notes would have been included in my supplemental report. And those notes would have been included in a statement, which is the version he's providing. And my notes are reduced to, if I took any, this is my final report. So you you don't recall whether you took notes or not? I don't recall in this case, no. But, But maybe you did. Possibly. Let's not forget that the prosecution was initially seeking the death penalty in this case. So you'd think if a man's life was literally on the line, you'd want a little more than possiblys or maybes from your lead detective. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Detective Aguirre's memory is called into question once more on the stand. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So Detective Aguirre is still on the stand, and it would seem Detective Aguirre's memory wasn't as good as he may have thought. It would come into question yet again when he's asked about what exactly he knew regarding the injuries sustained by Jasmine prior to him obtaining Sowell's confession. He would state that he knew the autopsy had been carried out and that there was blunt force trauma involved, but wasn't aware just how many bruises had been found. They cross-examined his supervisor, who was at the present at the autopsy, and they asked him at any point after you found out about the the reports of the autopsy, you know, about the bruises. Did you contact Detective Aguirre and inform him of the, the four bruises? Of course, uh, his supervisor said, yes, I did call him and tell him there was four bruises to the abdomen, which meant there was four blows to the abdomen. Um, and uh, they asked him what time was this, and it was this was the time that, they, that he informed him was prior to me even coming back to the, to the station, to the police station. So he had all this information, and which shows that he knew about the four bruises he's the one that made up the the whole story so my attorney you know my attorney's plan were to question the third detective detective uh, Ochoa who was also present at that time and ask him if he had any knowledge of this you know see if there was any contradiction between detective Aguirre. Before they could call detective Ochoa to get his accounts of what had happened a meeting was called to the bench after these discussions the court would call lunch recess and would break before calling Detective Ochoa to the stand. So they went to lunch and when they came back, you know, I told my attorneys, are we ready to question Detective Ochoa? You know, make sure we get this taken care of. And my attorney said, uh, no, I'm sure by this time, you know, during the lunch break, they already got their, their story straight and so they're going to deny it now. So there's no point in doing this right now. So they did not call Detective Ochoa to the stand and they did not question him. Sowell's trial would last a total of five days. But it's what's said in the closing arguments, not only by the prosecutor, but also the judge, that really had my jaw on the floor. In the state's closing, I just have to read you a sentence verbatim that the assistant district attorney was trying to show that Saul was not some guy that got pushed around. It's, they're saying, anyway, let's check him out. He's an insurance adjuster. He has a degree. This is a guy who takes tests. He's not some dummy. He's a guy who lives right here in El Paso. Is he unfamiliar with guys like Jimmy Aguirre? Does he not deal with people he doesn't know or people confront him or people that he can't understand or that he might not understand the words? It's Jimmy Aguirre sitting right there. A person from El Paso talking to a guy from El Paso, okay? This isn't some black guy from Alabama. Some retarded guy getting worked over by people who don't know or don't care. Wow. This is Jimmy Aguirre here in El Paso County, Texas, talking to another guy in El Paso County, Texas. That is absolutely... Nobody objected. Now, I just want to point out that this is fact. I have read the closing argument from the prosecution. He is arguing that Saul is a smart man, not a man that could be duped. He's not stupid. And I quote, he's not some black guy from Alabama, some retarded guy getting worked over. I'd like to point out this trial did not occur in the 40s or 50s. This was 2006, Texas, United States. 
Can you believe that? I cannot believe he used those terms in a courtroom. And I even, I've talked to, so the lead guy for Sowell's case died a year after the case, his lead attorney with the public defender's office. Talked to the second in command and he's now retired. And I read him that and he goes, did I object? I said, no, nobody objected. He just went on after that and continued his thing. And I've never found it exactly in words, but it was a point of appeal that he was allowed to argue that without a criminal record and with no background of no violence, he was the most dangerous criminal. There was a comment that was made at the very end of yes. closing arguments by the by the assistant DA. They could not find anybody to testify against me. There was nobody that there was no witnesses that would t- say anything bad about me at all. And so he got up there and, he, and in his closing arguments, he said, we could not find anybody that would say anything bad about this man. He said, uh, the record shows that he's got no prayer record. It shows that he has never gotten in trouble, that he is a good citizen. And then he said, that this is the worst type of criminal because you never know when they're going to turn and just do what they just what he just did. And nobody objected? Nobody objected. <laughs> um, he testified that there was no record. He testified that there was no witnesses. Nobody, they could not find one person to say anything bad about me. But then he turned it around and said that I was the worst type of monster. <laughs> wow. So, and I'm sure that had a pretty bad impression on the, on the jury. The jury is then told that they have all their evidence and it's time for them to deliberate on a verdict. But with one final comment from the judge... And how long did the jury deliberate? Um, <laughs> because it was on, on July the 3rd. They deliberated for maybe four hours at the most, I think. I don't even think it was four hours. I think it was less than that. And the reason being is because the judge pressured them to have a decision made before the, the holiday. If four not, hours. he was going to sequester them for the whole holiday until the following day. See, that, that again, that really, really, really irks me. I hear, you know, especially with the jury, the jury situation is, is really tumultuous as it is because you've got people in there that have got lives of things on and, and jury duty can almost sometimes be a, a real pain in the ass, excuse my uh, French, but, uh, and they just want to get back to their lives. And as you said, it was 4th of July and the judge has said, if you don't come back with a response, well, you're going to miss out on 4th of July. What? Come on. That is just insanity because then all of a sudden they're all thinking, oh, yeah, I've got that party planned or, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be going away. Don't want to do that. All right, what do we reckon, everybody? Should we all just say guilty? Yep, brilliant, fantastic. All right, we've got a decision, Your Honour. It's crazy. It is crazy. And he said in the back when they were deliberating, the bailiff and everybody there said, oh, man, you're going home tonight. There's no way you're going to be convicted because they heard everything, you know, but... The jury didn't hear it. And this was this judge's first case. He was stuck in jail for two and a half years waiting for this newly elected judge. Yes, Texas also elects their judges like Florida. And this is the other issue. She had to go to judge school. She was a municipal judge. First case they give her a capital murder. So with the fear of losing out on their holiday weekend, the jury takes just over three hours in which to return their verdict. The courtroom is full, yet deathly quiet. 
as the judge speaks. I ask the presiding jury for person to stand. And is the verdict a unanimous verdict of all the members of the jury? Yes, Your Honour. Thank you. I would ask the defendant to stand at this time. Saul stands, dressed in his orange prison jumpsuit, to await his fate. Uh, On the first charge of capital murder, we, the jury, find the defendant, Saul Contreras, not guilty of capital murder, as alleged in the indictment. But of course it's not over yet. There's still the charge of murder to come. A sentence that carries up to 99 years in prison. The foreperson delivers the verdict. Verdict form B1, we the jury find the defendant Saul Contreras guilty of murder as alleged in the indictment. Here's Saul's sister. Ah, it was really intense, really, really intense. Um, It was really horrible to see my mom crying when they said that he was guilty and that they were going to give him, I think they said, 99 years of jail. And it was horrible. It was really horrible. But, um, yeah, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. But I remember, yeah, how old he, he cried. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it either. It was, it was a lot of unfair things, a lot. They originally were going for the death penalty. Right. Then, then how did it happen that it came off the table? You know? Well, they, they realized that there was no evidence, not enough evidence for anything. And so they took the death penalty off. And then what did you get? What was your sentence? It was uh, 99 years. I was found not guilty of capital murder, but I was found of guilty of felony murder. In some instances, attorneys are permitted to speak with the jury post-verdict to ask questions about how they in fact came to their decision. And it would seem, from what Saul is saying, that the jury in this case may not have had it fully explained to them, the concept of reasonable doubt. Did you learn anything about the jury afterwards? Was there any polling? I I did. Um, My attorneys actually... After, after the trial was over, the, the, the judge allowed them to go talk to the jury. Mm-hmm. And they did ask the jury if you would have heard these other witnesses, the ones that uh, testified against Susana and her behavior, if you would have heard them, would you still have found him guilty? And, and the jury said, no, definitely not. We would not have found him guilty. And says, well, why made you find him guilty? And they say, well, the prosecution did not prove that he did it, that Contreras did it, me. But they did it. But you guys did not prove who did it. Right. Hmm. It, it wasn't the defense job to prove who did it. It was the prosecution's job to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And they did not. I mean, that, that tells me that there was not enough instruction given to them by right. the judge. So where are we at with this case, Jane? What's the... Okay, we've enlisted the help of an appellate attorney in El Paso named Felix Valenzuela, and he reviewed the case for us, 
and he believes that we should file a writ of habeas corpus with our new report from our new pediatric forensic pathologist saying that the El Paso medical examiner's conclusions were not scientifically viable. And then just laundry list everything else that happened and just see. Yeah. Just see. You know, there's a new DA in El Paso, so we need to get in there and see if they're sympathetic to this or they just care about the border. Saul's mother is not a well lady. She's showing signs of dementia and does not speak English. However, I did ask if she would like to say anything about her son for this story, and she did. Her words will be translated by her daughter. Mis hermanos, mis primos, todos, todos han hablado con él. To him, everybody are his friends. There's no bad people to him. He tells me, Mom, God knows why he let this happen. I am here to help a lot of my friends. A lot of the guys here need my help. And that's why he put me here to help them. So please, mom, be in peace. I am okay. Saul has always been really humble and calm. All of my kids are. And my soul hurts that Saul is in jail for something he didn't do. He doesn't deserve that.
You have one minute remaining. This, for now, is the story of Saul Contreras. As always, like the men and women that we speak with in this show, we will keep you up to date with what's happening in his case. Saul's case is not one that gained much attention in the media at the time. However, the same cannot be said for our next story. My name is Karen and I am currently serving a 25-year mandatory sentence to life with 22 years on top. I was convicted of premeditated first-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder for the death of my then-husband. Just how do you go from dating Sylvester Stallone to being in prison for murder? As I was going into the scene I was to be a part of, my nylon that was supposed to be hooked to my garter kept popping off. Sly came out of a side area and he asked me if I needed help with that. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.